Welcome to the Women's Wellbeing Academy podcast, brought to you by the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This series explores the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of women's health and wellbeing. This is Professor Bill Ledger. I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at University of New South Wales and the Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick. And it's a great pleasure for me today to introduce my good friend and colleague, Dr. Amanda Henry, who is going to talk about the influence of COVID-19 on pregnancy. Amanda is an academic obstetrician. She works as a senior lecturer in obstetrics and gynaecology in the School of Women's and Children's Health here at UNSW. And she also practices obstetrics at the St. George Public Hospital. Her main interest in research and teaching center on high-risk pregnancy, particularly looking after mothers with hypertensive disorders, also the microbiome in pregnancy, and the connections between a woman's pregnancy and her lifelong health. Dr. Henry is passionate about women's health more broadly, working with the George Institute for Global Health as a senior research fellow, helping to launch and embed their global women's health program over the last couple of years. And she works as their gender co-champion on the UNSW Medicine Faculties Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. So Amanda, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for for participating. Thank you for having me. First topic then is just basically if you could just explore the nature of COVID-19 in pregnancy and how infectious it is for pregnant women. So look, I imagine many listeners have a uh, a much firmer grasp of uh, virology and infectious diseases than I do. But from the sort of cut down obstetrician's viewpoint, COVID-19 is uh, a type of virus from the group of viruses called coronavirus. So named because uh, the club shaped spikes around the viral capsule look under the electron microscope quite similar to the corona of plasma around our sun and other stars. And coronaviruses are known to cause disease in both both animals and humans. And in humans, they uh, usually cause diseases of the respiratory tract, so lung issues. And these range from generally very mild illnesses, um, like the versions of the common cold that we're all very familiar with, through to very serious infections with a high death rate, such as the previous SARS outbreak in 2003. And COVID-19 is the most recent of the coronaviruses uh, to emerge, probably making the jump from Um, bats to to humans and maybe via an intermediate host animal uh, sometime in late 2019 in China. And unfortunately for all of us, COVID-19 is at the more serious end of the coronavirus spectrum. And this is because firstly, it's pretty infectious. And so an infected person on average infects about another two and a half people uh, if strict containment measures aren't followed versus, for example, seasonal flu where um, one person on average would infect just over one other person. And then the other reason COVID-19 is at the more serious end of the coronavirus family for us is that about one in five adults um, with it seem to become seriously unwell and a few percent with COVID-19 become critically unwell with their breathing complications. So and then for sort of how infectious is it for pregnant women as a subgroup? So at this stage, which is the 28th of April 2020, and it's worth emphasising we are learning more uh, all the time, COVID-19 appears to be neither more nor less infectious for pregnant women than for the non-pregnant adult population. 
so like most respiratory viruses, uh, COVID-19 spread primarily through droplets when someone with the virus coughs or sneezes or speaks, which is why our public health messaging has been emphasising physical distancing. And there's also the capacity to spread through fomite. So meaning, for example, an infected person coughs virus onto a surface like a door handle or a lift button. And then before the virus has had time to die, somebody else touches that surface, then they touch their face and can be infected. And both the droplet and the fomite spread on what we know so far appear to be just as likely for pregnant women as for anybody else, um, but not particularly more so. So Amanda, that's an important point. And just to take you up on that a bit further, there are many respiratory infections like the flu. COVID-19 is in this class, but mm. some of them appear to have been more dangerous to pregnant women than others. And where would COVID-19 fit in that spectrum? Mm. Yeah, no, really good question. Thanks. It's it's quite true that um, seasonal influenza, for example, uh, is known to have a higher rate of severe infections and even death for pregnant women. Uh, and that's one reason uh, why pregnant women are priority population for seasonal influenza vaccine each year when it becomes available, uh, regardless of their stage of pregnancy. However, interestingly, with COVID-19 so far, and again, this is limited data available, so we're talking about just over 100 reported cases sort of reviewed. COVID-19 does not appear to be more likely to cause severe illness in pregnant women um, versus non-pregnant adults of a similar age. Now, this isn't to say that it can't be very serious um, or even deadly for pregnant women, but the data from um, both China and New York would suggest that as for non-pregnant adults, about 80% of COVID cases in pregnant women are mild with minimal or no symptoms. About 15% are severe, so potentially needing hospital treatment, and about 5% critically unwell or require intensive care. However, pregnant women do tend to be more susceptible to severe respiratory viral infections generally because of normal changes of pregnancy, um, such as reduced lung function, increased cardiac output, and increased oxygen consumption and uh, changes to the pregnant woman's immune system. So I guess um, the relatively reassuring early data on COVID-19 for pregnant women by comparison with other adults, while welcome, is being treated with caution. And obviously, regardless, we still don't want pregnant women getting a disease that has a several percent rate of very severe lung disease. Thank you. And just to emphasize that we would still encourage pregnant women to go and have the seasonal flu shot, which is available right now. It's really good common sense to have the flu shot in pregnancy. Don't hold back just because of the COVID virus. Absolutely. Yeah. So then moving on to maybe the first trimester problems that the COVID virus might cause, What's your view on the likelihood that COVID-19 can lead to problems of miscarriage or problems in development leading to abnormality in the newborn? And also maybe to put on to that question, whether mom can pass on the virus to baby if, if mom has it. Mm -hmm. uh, so... There's no evidence at this stage of COVID-19 causing miscarriage um, or causing direct abnormalities in unborn babies. So that's, of course, to say over and above the background chance of such things happening already. So rates of miscarriage, depending on the, the population you're looking at, but 15 
20 to 25%. So miscarriage, unfortunately, even after pregnancy is recognised, is, is a relatively common problem. Uh, and the chance of a baby having an abnormality of some kind is about 3%. So uh, obviously, um, there's, there's not less chance than that with COVID-19. But we don't believe that COVID-19 increases um, either, either of those things. And other coronaviruses aren't known to cause problems of miscarriage or directly causing abnormalities to the baby. So hopefully it's very unlikely that this would be the case um, for COVID-19. Mm. Regarding the, uh, the the other part of your question about the chance of passing COVID-19 on to the unborn child, if a mother gets infected, this is to what I suppose could be called a contested space. There are a few very recent case reports suggesting that vertical transmission, so mother to child in utero transmission, might have occurred. Uh, however, the, the current data is really a long way from conclusive. And babies reported on were not themselves unwell. And I think it's also important to note that fortunately, COVID-19 appears to be a much milder disease in children, including newborns, than it is for adults. So even if that vertical transmission occasionally occurs, that as such should not harm the baby. However, that doesn't mean that you can't have a seriously unwell mother who, for example, has to have her baby prematurely to improve her own condition. And of course, things such as being born prematurely or small in themselves have effects on baby. In terms of transmission to baby around the, the time of birth, I think we're maybe going to chat again in the next couple of weeks about birth and beyond with COVID-19. So I might talk about it a bit more then, but yes, it obviously is possible for baby to pick up COVID-19 from infected mother or caregivers shortly after birth. And so we do have various precautions in place for that for high-risk mothers or mothers known to for them or their partners to have COVID. Thanks, Amanda. And just while we're on this, topic. What do you think if mother has infection with COVID-19 in later pregnancy, maybe the, the six to nine months trimester, mm. does that cause any of the, or is that associated with any of the other pregnancy complications of that time, like high blood pressure or premature birth? Do you, do you think there's a causality there? So certainly it can be an association with premature birth if the mother is quite sick with COVID. So we've certainly had cases from overseas with the mothers who are at the more severe end of the spectrum and therefore, you know, needing to, to have their babies prematurely. Usually that's been a decision made in order to improve the mother's health. So an iatrogenic or deliberate medical decision to, to have the baby uh, usually by caesarean section to improve improve mum's lung function and then baby goes to, uh, to neonatal special care. Less evidence so far about whether COVID causes women spontaneously to, to go into a preterm labour or is, is particularly associated with other pregnancy complications. I think we really just don't, don't know, know enough yet. Okay, thank you. So then for women who are pregnant, there's a great deal of sensible advice about social distancing, avoiding unnecessary travel out of the home. And people are worried because coming to hospital might expose them to contact with the virus. What's the recommendation about women coming for their antenatal checkups and visits? Should they continue as usual or reduce the number of visits to reduce the chance of exposure? Mm. 
Yeah, so it's really important to continue uh, with your recommended pregnancy care. Uh, if I guess if there's one message I want to get across from this is having recommended pregnancy care is vital and so is calling and coming to be seen promptly. If you have any complications such as bleeding or not feeling your baby move as normal, that's also really important. So look, it's true most maternity services have altered their pregnancy services, um, including our own at St George, such that some visits are done by telehealth rather than face-to-face -face, and also we space clinics so that women who are coming for visits can maintain appropriate distancing in the waiting room to minimise any chance of COVID-19 infection. However, we absolutely recommend that women continue to receive um, full pregnancy and birth care for the health of themselves and, and their baby. Fortunately, in Australia, we have very few COVID cases at present in either the community or in hospitals. And although, of course, it's really important and we want everyone to take sensible precautions to keep that spread as low as possible, hospitals are still a safe place to come and seeing your maternity care provider as scheduled is still very safe too. Some of the uh, yeah the terrible footage uh, from places like Italy and New York can can make it seem like going to hospital is equivalent to catching COVID nineteen and dying. Um, and fortunately, in in Australia, that's a very long way from the reality. Yeah, and I can just fully endorse that and, and support what you're saying. I think it's most important that we don't lose contact with our pregnant women and don't stop looking after them properly because of this. Uh, and they'll be advised by their care providers about exactly how many visits they need and how much can be done by telehealth, which is working very well. Demand, I think you'd agree that the systems are in place and they're up and running nicely. Yes, yeah, it has been a, a silver lining, I suppose, of, of this pandemic that uh, we have finally been able to, to get some good telehealth up and running. So then most women work through pregnancy and that's been the standard for many years. Some will be working at home in isolation and that's not a problem, but many will still be required to go to work. What would you say about safety for pregnant women going to work and whether they should adopt any particular precautions over and above those for everybody else? Mm, yeah, this is a, a curly one. Um, the answer to this does depend a little bit on your personal circumstances. Look, obviously, as for all of the population right now, as you've mentioned, Bill, um, you work from home if that's possible. And if restrictions are gradually relaxed over the next few months, as we obviously hope they will be, then um, for those with, for example, office jobs, there's really no reason pregnant women can't work while continuing to observe, you know, the physical distancing and the frequent hand washing, etc., as we will all be asked to do. For those in jobs with a higher risk of exposure and infection, such as healthcare workers, that's a bit harder to answer. Given that we're still not sure that pregnant women don't get COVID at higher rates or more severely than other adults, the cautious approach is to, to treat them like others that we do know are at higher risk, such as older workers or those with major chronic disease, and to wherever possible redeploy to, to lower risk clinical situations or administrative type roles. However, uh, it shouldn't necessarily be mandated that pregnant women do this if they wish to continue in their usual roles. Each pregnant woman, as, as they usually do during the later stages of pregnancy in any case uh, all the time, will weigh up for, for themselves what she considers you know, an acceptable risk or not versus what she feels she would miss out on if her job was changed or if she started maternity leave early. And look, I think as long as pregnant women are not being coerced into working into situations where they feel unsafe and they're being offered options and they're 
they're not being discriminated against, then we should be trusting them to, to make the decisions they feel are best. Okay, thank you. Sensible advice. And then going on from that to another very practical question about COVID-19 testing on pregnant women. We've seen research from New York where women attending for maternity care who were asymptomatic, who felt totally healthy, were tested and quite a high proportion were found to be positive for COVID-19 with no symptoms whatsoever. What do you think the relevance of that research is to practice in Australia and New South Wales? Should we, swabbing, should we be swabbing and testing every pregnant woman? Mm -hmm. Look, so at this stage, the short answer is no, but there is a much longer answer. So I guess to uh, just cover the New York research a little bit more fully. So they did swab 30-something women and uh, found that about 15% of them were either asymptomatic or in fact in a couple of cases pre-symptomatic so in the next sort of 48 72 hours after the swab they did did then develop symptoms and this is sort of over 30 cases of pregnant women with COVID-19 in a two-week period in a single major hospital now um, to the best of my knowledge we don't have 30 cases in pregnancy in all of Australia much less a single hospital in a single city in two weeks so fortunately we're, we're talking about very different circumstances um, so a high rate of community carriage in New York versus fortunately our very low community carriage rate. I think for example about 6,000 tests were done yesterday or the day before in New South Wales and, and less than five of them were, were positive um, to, to put it in perspective. So look how we are increasingly adopting a test everyone strategy in New South Wales. So I don't, although singling out pregnant women specifically for testing at this time isn't, isn't uh, warranted, we may in coming months uh, just start testing all patients who come to hospital for whatever reason and universal staff testing also as part of the more general COVID strategy. And if that happens, then of course, pregnant women would become part of that. And if they were found to be test positive, Amanda, but asymptomatic, what do you think would be the implications to that mom in her pregnancy and also at the time of birth? So at the time of a swab, if fortunately she's, she's asymptomatic, then she would follow the normal recommendations of self-isolation at home for others who are COVID positive but are well. And hopefully for, for most women, that would occur at a stage in their pregnancy where it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't affect the birth. If, of course, it's happening very late in pregnancy or if it's a swab that's taken in early labour on admission to hospital and labour, then, then, then that does mean, of course, um, that the hospital's would, would activate their, their usual personal protective equipment and the various strategies in terms of women uh, who are found to be COVID positive, which we might talk about the details of that a bit more next week. Mm -hmm. And then really just to put to you the final topic, um, what are the steps that the pregnant women can take to keep the risk of COVID-19 to their own health and also to the health of their unborn baby as low as they can? And also, how can they avoid or minimise the risk of bringing the infection home to other members of the family? Particularly, they might be carers for elderly relatives who we know are more at risk of the severe end of the spectrum of, of, of the complications of the virus. Yeah. Look, so, I mean, fundamentally, um, women who are pregnant should be following the public health advice that all Australians are being being asked to follow. Um, so I guess the pillars of that are personal hygiene, so hand washing regularly and frequently with um, alcohol-based hand rubs or soaps and water and try to avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth um, and also sort of practising respiratory hygiene, meaning uh, if you do need to cough or sneeze, um, cover your mouth and nose with, with your bent elbow or a tissue and 
and get rid of the tissue immediately. Then the second thing, of course, physical distancing, at least, you know, one and a half metres uh, away from, from others, apart from, of course, those immediately um, in, in your household and reducing the general community exposure um, by, you know, working from home and only um, leaving the house for the reasons uh, like exercise, healthcare, including, of course, your pregnancy visits, shopping and work or study that can't be done from home. Uh, and obviously with the, the, the physical distancing, of course, particularly avoid going near anybody who uh, is coughing or sneezing. And then the next thing, uh, testing. If you have any COVID-19 symptoms, please do get tested promptly through a designated COVID-19 um, clinic or testing centre. Um, there are some in the community and there are also basically all the major hospitals have them now. Um, and self-isolate at home until results are known and you're feeling better. Fever, cough, shortness of breath uh, and tiredness are the most common um, reported symptoms from confirmed cases. However, there are uh, a whole spectrum of others that can occur in a minority as well, such as sore throat, aches and pains, chills, um, nasal congestion and sudden loss of, of taste and smell. Um, so we really have a very low low threshold um, now for testing in terms of if you feel unwell uh, with, with any of those symptoms. Uh, and then um, for pregnancy, women more specifically look follow your pregnancy care providers advice um, regarding the timing of pregnancy visits uh, observe physical distancing uh, in clinic uh, or, or your obstetrician or midwives rooms um, and if at all possible do not bring your partner or other children along um, to pregnancy visits in many cases this will not be allowed anyway um, in your particular setting uh, your doctor or midwife can phone your partner during the consultation um, if you your partner and your doctor or midwife need to discuss issues together Together. Um, and also just be aware that when it comes to planning for your labour and birth, only your partner or a single support person is going to be allowed to attend um, at this stage. Uh, and lastly, uh, you, you mentioned it before, um, Bill, in terms of the flu vaccine, although it doesn't reduce the risk of COVID-19 specifically, please do get both your seasonal flu vaccination, which is currently available and is safe to receive at any stage of pregnancy, um, and also your whooping cough booster when it's offered, which is usually sometime after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Um, these vaccinations reduce the risk of other serious illness for both you and your baby. And then finally, I would just say stay up to date with both general advice regarding COVID-19 and also for pregnant women and their families specifically. Um, and in Australia, a good source of information is the, uh, the website of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, RANSCOG, uh, which has a special COVID-19 information section that's regularly updated as new evidence comes to light. Um, and it can be accessed at ranzcog.edu.au. Amanda, thank you for a most informative podcast. Um, I can endorse 100% that last link to Ranscog. They have a very informative website. Um, I'm sure that many people will find this helpful and we will have the second part of our podcast um, about birthing and beyond in a few days' time. Thank you again, Amanda. Great. Thank you very much. For more information about this podcast, our guests and upcoming episodes, please visit the UNSW Equity, Diversity and Inclusion website. Thank you.